0: So we're in uh, the cost still, we're working through Matthew and I'll give you the passage a wee bit later on so that you're not flicking through your pages just now and it should come up on the screen all being well as well. And yeah, it's a challenging one today guys, let's, uh, let's see how we go, I'll pray in a minute as well but um, dear God, it must be really hard for you to love everybody, there's only four other people in our family and I really struggle to even do that. It's a bit like that. Aren't people amazingly infuriating? Aren't they different? Aren't we hard to get on with? Don't we hurt people without even realizing sometimes? Or hurt people intentionally sometimes? Show me a family without conflict. How do you feel about conflict? Even just that word that I've just said. Did your heart just sink? Oh. How do we respond when we're hurt? So my heart definitely sinks when we're talking about conflict. I am an avoider. My, I just i am not up for it. I, I will avoid it at all costs. So this preach is definitely for me. And yeah, I'm preaching to myself. I've got so much to learn. So are you an avoider? Or are you like, nah, let's just get this sorted with. Bring it on, square goes. Are you just ready for it? You're like, let's go head on. It's definitely a different approach, isn't there, from folk? And maybe some folk have heard of the marriage course and in that it has this thing where it says some people are rhinos and they're like, head on, let's go for it. Maybe that's you or the hedgehogs that curl up in a ball and hide and avoid it and maybe send out the occasional spiky barb. So I'm not sure either of those ways are the best way to deal with conflict. So hoping today that we find out a bit how to deal with that and especially what happens if we're meant to be Like family. Church is meant to be like family. The reality of that is quite interesting, isn't it? Because who do we fight with most in our lives? Mostly we fight with the people who are closest to us. Our parents, our siblings, our roommates, our friends. The people we spend most time with. So if we spend a decent amount with the people around about us here, conflict is bound to turn up. And we are, quite frankly, the strangest bunch of folk that you would put in a room (laughs) and uh, tell to get get on with each other and have a common goal. Don't worry, I'm calling myself strange as well. I'm strange too. We're all, it's just unusual, isn't it, that so many different people would come together with this common goal. And so, of course, conflict does come up. We don't choose to spend time, we don't get to choose our families, do we? uh, But we have to try. And stay unified. So, the passage today, I'm hoping, is going to be really helpful. And ultimately, it's because, as this church family, we've got a great big job to do. We are trying to build the kingdom of God, a, just a little job, eh? So, if we're fighting amongst ourselves, the reality of that being able to happen is unlikely. And so, when we talk about the cost, the cost for us within this might be pride. It might be facing fears, rejection, being vulnerable, being open. It might be trying to forgive someone you, you really don't want to forgive. So let's read. Now you can flick. And it's Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Does anyone want a Bible? You can pop up your hand and sure, someone will send it your way. And as I say, it should come up on the screen. I'm just going to pray for us all. Dear Lord, open our eyes and our ears today, open our hearts to receive the message you want us to hear in this almost tricky topic, and give us maybe a a sort of reflection, a mirror of the areas we need to see or need to be challenged with God. Amen. So, dealing with sin in the church, Matthew eighteen fifteen to 20. If your brother or sister sins, and i put wee brackets in, some of your versions will say against you and some of them won't. And we are going to, most of the translations say against you. And so that's the context we're going to use today. So if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So my mum, um, who's in the room, sorry mum, yeah, I never saw that coming, but anyway, she's here. Um, When I was growing up, she was a nurse, and so basically what happened was, oh yeah, she might not say this is fair now, that's awkward, um, she used to. If you were ill, you basically had to have a limb hanging off before you bothered the doctor. So I, so, so I have inherited this stoic parenting skill, and I've taken that into my own family life. And sometimes it works works out well because you get your kids just to dust off their knees and get on with it, and it builds resilience, and that's great. And then sometimes not so much. Um, so here's a scenario for you, and um, basically this happens has happened quite a lot in my life when my kids were wee. And um, they're still quite wee, but when they were wee they would maybe get ill. It was a Wednesday say, okay? So they've got a high temperature. They're not eating and drinking. And I'm feeding them calpol. Thank you, God, for calpol. They're getting the calpol. And um, they're not getting any better. I'm like, oh, but they'll be fine. They're all right. They're all right. And then, of course, what happens is I put it off, and it's the weekend. And does anyone else know what happens at the weekend when you're ill and you've not gone to the doctor yet? You have to phone NHS 24. And what else happens is that you, um, so you go to the hospital, and what happens is there's this moment, and it goes one of two ways. And so the first way is you arrive and your child is just on death's door almost, and then they arrive in the waiting room and they are like, ding! The nicest child, the healthiest child you have ever seen in your life. And I want the world just to swallow me up. It's so embarrassing. They're charming. And the doctor's like, what are you doing here? This is terrible. That's my worst nightmare. But more often than not, what happened was I would arrive and um, they would say, oh, this is a chronic ear infection. How long have they had this for? Um, And so my point is, (laughs) by the way, is not to avoid things. Don't put it off. I think, yeah. It doesn't work out. Don't just expect it to go away. We don't have a miracle calpul for conflict, do we? Um, so yeah, I'm definitely preaching to myself. And I'm not saying this, this morning, stir something up that's not there. Um, if you've already dealt with stuff, you, you know. Um, but there might be a niggle of something that you, you need to deal with. And our example is that, I mean, I'm eternally grateful that God just didn't hope our situation we just, you know, get better. He came to us and he sent Jesus to reconcile the situation for us face to face. So that's my first point is deal with conflict face to face. It's best to go. It says, verse 15 says go. So go and sort it out. And I was thinking about how the world deals with this stuff. And I think a very common response is to talk to somebody else about the person who's wronged you. uh Perhaps in my life, an obvious one is like at the school gate that happens a lot. The whole he said, she said scenario it doesn't work out very well. In fact, that gossip thing is damaging and toxic, isn't it? It, it doesn't create life. And so I think the passage is trying to try be really clear that we shouldn't do that. Don't be like the school gateers, the soap operas, the Facebook notice board complainers, the gossiping, triangulating, talking behind somebody's back kind of people, not even in prayer. But a kind of church who are brave enough, mature enough and loving enough to go to the person who's hurt us and have a conversation face to face. And I'm hopeful that this is the only instruction that we'll need. I'm not saying it's easy, by the way, it really isn't. But hopefully that is if we can be brave enough. And our incentive shouldn't be just to make things right with one another so that um, we all feel the same and agree and. Act the same way or to show that we're right. Um, Our big mistake in conflict is often that we either want to we want to be right or we want to punish the other person for being wrong somehow. But what it should be is that we see that the relationship is broken and that we want it to be fixed for God's glory, for his kingdom. In a world that deals with conflict, with gossip, with silent treatment, with war, with legal action, the church. Should be a people united and together for the common cause that is lifting up Jesus to say, Look at the difference he makes. So let's aim to have good, healthy, whole relationships with one another. So that's why we should deal with conflict face to face, not Facebook to Facebook, not email to email, but face to face. And then also let's deal with it. Ear to ear, it's almost a good point. You'll get the drift in a minute. There's there's body parts coming up. So, verse 15: if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan. So, the word listen appears. Four times, did you count them? Were you listening? The first time it's mentioned, it's po- it's a positive when someone has listened. So listening equals winning. And not listening equals losing. It means losing a relationship and things breaking down. In fact, having to get more people involved and making it more complicated. So I think if we can be ear to ear, if we can be listening, it's going to help us out. James one nineteen says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Well, I think it's a hard point, though, actually, isn't it? When someone's wronged you, I'm, I'm just going to have a wee a here. And when, it's, when we're talking about a hurt, I don't mean they are the most annoying person in the world, that you can't stand the way that they speak, look, talk, worship. It's not that. It's, it's a hurt. So don't think, yes, this is it. I can go and say, by the way, that thing's really annoying. It's not that. It's a real hurt. And again, you can judge between you and God what that is. You know what it is. It's a hurt. We are asked to bear with one another to be long-suffering. But this is the bigger hurt. So there's a wee story um, about two men, and they're fighting over an orange. There's only one orange. And they can't agree who should have the orange. They are arguing so much about it. So they decide the best thing to do is to split it in half. That's fair. And they go off to their own rooms, one man to one and one one man to the other. And um, the first man, I struggle with this one. I'll get it right. Let's see. Peels the orange, eats the fruit, and throws the peel away. And the other man peels the orange, throws the fruit away, and uses the peel for cooking. So if only did you keep up with that. Was it? Did you get it? Yeah, almost. So one needed the fruit, one needed the peel. They could have had the whole fruit and they could have had the whole peel Uh, if only they had listened to one another. So if there'd been an opportunity for them to understand the other's perspective, then maybe they would have got on a bit better. So when I say listen, I don't mean listen so we can pick holes in their argument or listen so we can see where they're wrong. I mean listen. So you can see their perspective. Imagine being in their shoes for a moment. You might see a different perspective, or we might see a blind spot of our own, a grain of truth, a place we can't see. Marriage course book, again, there's a quote there, and it says, as we choose to communicate, we let down the drawbridge and invite each other in. Everything like that. So how are your listening skills? What was my last quote about? Anyone? <laughs> it's the drawbridge. It's fine. There's more tests later. Mm. I'm joking. <laughs> You're all panicking. <laughs> There's no test. It's fine. <laughs> so let's deal with conflict face to face and ear to ear. Let's really listen to one another. And then also, so truth is important, isn't it? you all feel that truth is quite important? Really important, isn't it? John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So truth is important. The Bible that we read is a book of truth. But it's also a book oozing love and grace. We want to be having high truth conversations in those tough moments. But not at the cost of love not at the cost of a united church for Jesus. So high truth, absolutely. But high grace and love, definitely. Take a moment just now. Think about a time for yourself when someone told you a truth without love. You maybe felt attacked or judged or condemned no matter how accurate the truth. You probably struggled to hear it because all you felt was the hurt. Grace is the ingredient which helps us to hear the truth. Now reflect on a time you received grace without any truth. How did you feel? Comforted and safe. But it doesn't necessarily provide the reality or direction or correction sometimes so there's this lovely balance when those two things come together we need truth and grace to partner to help us grow and move on you might have heard this story as well um, but there's a lady in an airport and she's sat down she's got a while till her plane's coming and she's bought a book so she's excited about that and she bought her favorite bag of cookies she's quite chuffed she's all comfy and she's got a chair next to her, and somebody sits down on the chair on the other side. And um, she's reading her book, and the other guy sits down to read the newspaper. And she's quite happy, and then she realizes her cookies are cookies there, and so she drags them a bit closer to herself, and she takes a cookie. She's loving that. And then the guy on the chair next to her just leans over and helps himself to a cookie. I know, right? She was outraged. And um, yeah, so she's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it slide. I don't, I don't want to say anything. That's fine. He, he can have a cookie. And uh, then what happens is she, she has another cookie, and well, so did he. He just keeps on taking a cookie. She takes a cookie. He takes a cookie. Until there's only one cookie left, people. It's just a bit serious now. And what happens is he leans into the box. The guy, the guy leans into the box. Unbelievable. And takes it out. And what does he do with it? Breaks it in half, smiles, and gives half to her. Wasn't that kind? Yes. She is absolutely raging. She's like, right, I'm gonna say something now, this is not cool. And uh the ping ping bong noise goes, and it's time for his flight. So she's like, Alright, oh, okay, never mind. But she's still a bit raging. He's gone off to his flight. So she's sort of humping and pumping, goes to put her book away, and in her bag was a box of cookies. Oh dear, that hadn't been her cookies at all, had it? never mind. But how much grace do you grant the people around you? I like to think we offer a bit of grace. When when we do something wrong, we hopefully get a bit of grace back. But actually, we have been given the biggest unending amount of grace from Jesus. Like, it's unimaginable. It's enormous. It's unending. And I think sometimes what we offer to people around us is a a sprinkling of grace. Or with condition, perhaps. Well, they apologise or if they pay for what they've done somehow. We have paid for nothing. Jesus has paid it all for us. There's a story of a court painter. That's the story today, sorry. And um, he paints a portrait of Oliver Cromwell, and apparently he was afflicted with terrible warts. And so this guy, thinking to please him, a bit like a photographer, airbrushing, hopefully Julie will do that later, airbrushing everybody out the imperfections. um, And the painter brings the painting to him, and he sends him away, and he says, take it away and paint me with warts and all. There you go. There's your lesson of the day. That is perhaps where the saying comes from. But Jesus dealt with his friends, his disciples, those people that were learning from him, warts and all. I mean, they were getting it wrong all over the shop, weren't they? As do we. And I was challenged writing this talk, not just about just the conflict stuff, but I sat and I prayed and I thought, I love people though, right God? I'm a pastor. I have a heart for people. I do, I do, don't worry. But do I love them on the basis that I know you're going to change them one day, God? You're going to take away those warts. Because Jesus loves us, warts and all. A version of us that may never get better, may never change. We have to keep loving one another, even if we're never going to change. It's really tough, by the way, guys. So, when conflict arises, I think the best thing we can do is have a heart to heart. Translation of which is a serious conversation between two people, usually close friends, in which they talk honestly about their feelings. Sounds alright. Doesn't sound that hard, actually. But talking honestly with truth and grace. Let's do that with one another if we can. Heart to heart. And then, here we go, wait for it, dealing with conflict, mouth to mouth. I know, don't panic, no one's kissing anyone, Just fine. But what we need to do is resuscitate dying relationships between one another. Verse 19, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three gather my name, there I am with them. It's not, dear Lord, please help these people to see my point of view. Dear Lord, please help these people to see they're wrong. So agreeing in prayer, what does that look like? I'm not quite sure, but how are we supposed to get on when we've fallen out like that and agree in prayer? Maybe, dear Lord, help us to both love one another. Help us to grant one another grace, to stay united. Lord, help us. And to agree in the Greek means something like to symphonize. Sounds like questionable crossword kind of an answer to me, but it means to play or sound together in harmony. We don't have to be singing the same note. We don't have to agree on everything, but we have to be in harmony to create something beautiful for God, something united for God's kingdom. He's given us his absolute all to save our relationship with our father in heaven. Before Jesus came, our relationship with God was dead. So we should try and do the same in our earthly relationships, resuscitating them. And in prayer, definitely. Verse 19, again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. Where two or three gather my name, there I am with them. And so in conclusion, ultimately, why does it matter if we get on or not? And the way um, John Mumford, and he's the guy who heads up Vineyard globally, he says, because the world wages war, so the world should wage peace. Jesus' whole life was one that brought about the ultimate reconciliation, righted the biggest conflict, God and the human race. 2 Corinthians 5.18 said God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Imagine that moment in garden when our relationship with God was utter perfection. And then this wound appeared between us, the gap. And Jesus has completely filled that gap for us. His purpose was to create wholeness in relationship between us. So let's not get overly wound up. I think we read this passage often and we're like, right, I've done this tick. I've done this tick. I've dealt with this correctly. But let's do our best to have whole and united relationships with one another. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. So what I'd love for everyone to grasp, if nothing else, is that God wants his people to live in unity as a sign to the world that Jesus does make a difference. So although we don't need to be best friends with everyone, if something's getting in the way, if there's a wound or an opening, a gap that's stopping the church from moving forward or thriving, then it needs sorted. So, brothers and sisters, your final challenge, ending where it began, where so many passages relate, church relate following Jesus as being God's family. Brothers and sisters, how do you view your church friendships, connections, relationships? Are there walls up? Are you keeping your relationships at arm's length, at a safe distance? And that does happen because a past hurts. But imagine we were better at dealing with those things as they came along. If we deal with them face to face, with a listening ear, with our hearts, trying to save those relationships for the whole body of the church. So my encouragement is to check your heart. I'm checking mine. Are you keeping those relationships at arm's length? Hiding behind walls or not able to get past walls? Let's love one another like this passage. And you'll have heard this passage before, probably, maybe at weddings. But maybe just close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13 over us. Imagine love looked like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth.